to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, just that one verse, and just carrying on in the series the last time we looked at the spiritual assessment of our hearts, and tonight it's vision, uh, how important it is that God's people have sight in these days, that we have vision and we keep our eyes upon the Lord. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, if you get there, please, would you stand, and we'll read this one verse together, and then we'll pray, and we'll come around God's word. Matthew 5 and 8, amen, and we'll all audibly read this verse together. Matthew 5 and verse 8, amen. Let's read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, tonight, Lord, what a day we're in. Lord, we pray for spiritual sight and vision. Lord, we ask that you would anoint our eyes afresh in this meeting tonight. Give us revelation and understanding. Illuminate our hearts, Lord, with the power of your Spirit, O God. Oh, Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word. Would you speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our seats together. Blessed are the pure in heart. We looked at the condition, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, the condition of the heart. And uh, tonight, as we look at uh, this verse again, you'll see that the heart, um, the heart condition is directly linked to sight. The Bible says they that are the pure in heart, then will see God. They have a vision. And you know, it's actually only, I believe I'm, I can stand corrected in this from our medical experts. I'm certainly not one, but it is only in recent years that they've, uh, that they've and through research that have been able to connect that the condition of the heart or heart disease is connected with blindness. And that's a very profound thing, not in, not in every area, but in some areas. Um, and one of the medical reports, because I, I knew there was going to be a connection, so after a little bit of research, uh, I found a paper that they'd done, and it says to the average person, vision lost, Vision loss and clogged arteries would seem to have little in common, but researchers are discovering that that is not the case. One eye condition in particular is called age-related macular degeneration. It's AMD for short, so I'll use AMD from here on in, if you don't mind. But AMD may be tied to the health of your heart, and researchers found, an Australian team found, uh, which reviewed health and vision information from 1,600 people, found that the more severe a person's coronary artery disease is, the more likely they would develop the loss of vision. The good news is, they say, <clears throat> that lifestyle changes uh, that you make protect your heart and also could help you see again. Lifestyle changes. Bible says the pure in heart. We're talking about the spiritual. But it's so important because God created all things, both the physical and the spiritual, and relates them, the heart and the sight. And we know that the pure in heart see God. And spiritual vision, I believe, in the days in which we're living, is one of the most critical things that a believer must have is sight. Spiritual vision to be able to effectively see in the spiritual realm, see through the eyes of faith, because all around us we see all the attractions and the distractions more of the, or less that are trying to get our sight and our focus on the things of this world. But spiritual vision surely must be one of the most important things for the believer, for the church, as we are entering in and know we are in the last days. We are to look for him because he's coming a second time. And so sight, spiritual sight, understanding 
revelation is so important for us all in these days to have our eyes opened, not the natural eyes, but the eyes of the heart and not faith. You know, when we were born again, if you turn over to Acts chapter 16 and verse 18, some something wonderful happened. God gave the believer the ability to see, not naturally, but spiritually. That is one of the wonderful things of the new birth. Your eyes are opened. You see, not in the natural, but you see spiritually. You have a spiritual understanding. We're all born of the same spirit. Um, and being born of the same spirit, then we all have the same ability through the Holy Ghost and by God's word to be able to see spiritually. And Paul writes and says here the words of the Lord to open the eyes, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness, Acts 26, 18, sorry, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So we see that through the new birth that there is an opening of the eye. That is not the natural eye. You know that is the eye of the heart, that eye of faith, the ability in order that we might see. If you turn over into Ephesians chapter 1, you'll know this verse very well. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, we see when the eye is opened, what happens to the understanding. This is a spiritual enlightenment that takes place. We see, we understand that we were lost and now we're found, that Christ died for us, that we needed to be saved, that there's a home and glory, that we're here as pilgrims on the earth, that God has a purpose for our lives, that our souls have been redeemed, our, our sins are forgiven, praise the Lord, our names are written. We begin to understand all these things spiritually because the Holy Ghost illuminates them into our hearts and so in Ephesians 1 and 18, this happens to every believer, everyone that's saved in this room. Your eyes are opened and the eyes of our understanding is enlightened. That, that word, that Greek word there simply means that there, is, there are rays that shine into our understanding, illuminates our understanding. It's nothing to do with our intellect. It's all to do with that, that we were dead in sin. We were blind. And so then our understanding is illuminated by the Holy Ghost. It's a wonderful thing when, when, we're, when our eyes are opened spiritually and we see Christ and we see what he's done for us on the cross. And here it says that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, that we might know, that we know something, that we begin to know we have a hope. What is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? We understand these things and not in their fullness because we'll not know it all until we meet him face to face. But in, in little we begin to walk in the revelation of what he gives us. We understand because our understanding is illuminated by the Holy Ghost. He brings the revelation of Jesus Christ into all of our hearts. And we begin to see. And that's the excitement. It's, it's like um, when you see some of those uh, clips or those stories of people who have been blind and then through medical advancement they uh, have opened their eyes for the first time and the cameras are there and suddenly their eyes opened and they're able to see they take the patches off and suddenly they're so excited about being able to see their loved ones well how greater a thing is it that when our spiritual eyes are opened and we are able to see Jesus and understand all that he's done for us and our understanding is enlightened in Hebrews chapter 10 if you turn over to it Hebrews 10 and 32 
Again, this same Greek word that is used for the word enlightened in Ephesians 1 and 18, it's the same Greek word used, but a different English word. It gives us the idea again, but it says in Hebrews 10 and verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated. I love that phrase, after ye were illuminated. When God opened our understanding and illuminated our hearts, and our understanding, we, we don't understand it all, but we get the glimpses of the glory of God. We begin to see something of the wonder of this great salvation, of the purposes of God. We begin to look over our lives and we see, God, even when I was far from you, dead in my sin and turned my back from you, yet somehow I see that there was a providential hand that was leading me and guiding me and bringing me to that place of repentance where you opened my understanding, revealed your great love for me. It's a wonderful thing. That's, that's the joy of salvation. When we're first saved, the joy of sins forgiven, there is illum- illumination in our understanding. We, we, we grasp something so eternal, so wonderful, so powerful, so outside of the realms of this world, and it illuminates our hearts. It's like a drop of glory is dropped into, into the depths of our hearts, and our eyes are opened. You know, when we put the eye drops on to try and help us to see better, but there is a, there is like a glory that's dropped into our soul, and then our eyes are opened, and we see the glimpse of the glory of God, and the wonder of salvation, and the joy that it brings, and the excitement that it brings, and the zeal that there is in that, in that, in that initial encounter with the Lord. Never let us lose that joy. Not zeal and not that excitement of our understanding be our understanding being enlightened and the revelation of Jesus Christ because that that joy in our hearts and we see for that moment in revelation speaking of revelation but in revelation chapter three if you go over to it most of us are very well familiar with these verses but I just want to mention this just for those who maybe aren't familiar so that you you know, of course, there are seven churches that are mentioned here in, in the beginning, chap, early chapters of Revelation. These are, at the time of their writing, there were seven actual churches now uh, located in uh, modern Turkey, but Asia Minor, as they're known. And these are known as churches that, obviously, the Lord was writing to them. He visited them. He, he examined them. He walked amongst them. But they're, they're, the symbolism is quite profound because this can, of course, be any church at any time and any age. And it also, uh, as we most of us would believe, that it's the seven church ages. And so when you go through the seven churches of the book of Revelation there in 2 and 3, then you come to the final church age, and that is the church of the Laodicean. I'm not speaking extensively on that tonight, but just to give you that background. But in Revelation 3 and verse 14, we see here there is uh, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So the Lord had a message for uh, this church, the, the church of the Laodicean. Now many, as I've already said, believe that this would represent certainly in the Western a context of which we're a part of, not entirely, but it would generally represent the church age of which we now are a part of. And if you go through it then down to verse 15, then it says, the Lord writing to the church says, I know thy works, 
I know that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then, because thou art lukewarm uh, and neither neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, it is said, and I believe it to be true, that Laodicean was a, a, a very wealthy city, very advanced city of its time, of its day. And one of the great troubles that they had was the, the water. The water feed was actually lukewarm that was coming into the city. And you know, water, we, re, we often hear about it. We see those adverts. Water has a very profound effect on many people in the third world today. What is water? Bad water, poor water causes blindness. I believe that the Lord would take these things that the church in its local context would be familiar with in order to bring a spiritual application. And so we see here that he's saying that you're neither hot nor cold. They would be familiar with the fact that the, their feet of water, they had great difficulty with it. It was neither hot, neither was it cold. They were very wealthy. They were increased in riches, but they were lukewarm. And verse 17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing. Uh, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor. Uh, and then he says, you're blind and naked. And he had counsels of them to buy gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and that the Lord desired that he would anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that you might see, that you might see. Jesus simply said that this church that was so increased with wealth and riches had a problem with its water that you're lukewarm and ultimately, it has left you in a place where you're blind. He says, you're blind. You cannot see. We know from studying the word of God that that was not always the case with the church at the, the Laodicean church. It was birthed in revival. If you look back at when it was birthed and how Paul had visited more than likely after the Colossians and so forth, that he would have visited. There was mighty miracles, mighty signs, mighty wonders, many things that took place as this church is planted. But now, through the process of time, it has become lukewarm. It has become increased in wealth. And now, Jesus, walking in the midst of the church, says, you're, you're actually blind. You're actually blind. To lose our vision, to lose our vision, in these days... Brothers and sisters, this is such a critical hour. This is such a critical hour for the church to lose its vision. Its vision, its sight, individually or corporately, I think would be the greatest, the, the greatest disaster that could take place. You know, when Samson, if you go right back in the Judges, and again, I know we're all familiar with the stories, that are held here. But in Judges chapter 16 verse 21. We read of the great champion of Israel. This mighty man of God. Anointed. Spirit of the Lord upon him. How God greatly was used in his life. And through compromise we believe. He found himself in the place where. The old enemy took him. You know the old enemy wants to take people out. The old enemy wants to take people out. Could I tell you something. The old enemy wants to take you out. The onslaught of the powers of darkness in these days is very real, very tangible, very tangible. The old devil, the old serpent, 
He wants to take you out. And he'll do every trick, every scheme, every circumstance. He'll throw everything at you in order that you would walk away. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. This is one leper that will never change his spots. That's what he is. And he's determined in these last days because the devil knows his time is short. He's determined to throw everything against the church of Jesus Christ. And particularly those that have sight, that have faith, that have a heart, that desire to see God move, believe in God for a harvest, looking to stand for the Lord, not on their own strength, but just to believe the Lord for God to do a mighty work in these days. The enemy is busy. Many people would say amen to that. The enemy is busy. He's busy in our lives. He's busy in our heads. He's busy in our homes. He's busy against the church of Jesus Christ. And what he wants to do is take out your eyes. He wants to take out your eyes. Says the Philistines, Judges 16 and verse 21. Says the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down the Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. That's what the enemy wants to do with your friend. That's what he wants to do. That's the real purpose of the enemy. That is the work of Satan. It is to take out your eyes, to bring you and bind you with fetters of brass and grind you, let you grind in the prison house again. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take away your vision. I'm not talking about we have a vision. I'm talking about vision. You can have a vision, but not see. I'm talking about sight. Sight. Seeing God. You know, it's an interesting prayer. If you turn down to verse 28, what does Samson pray? Many would say, Lord, of course he prayed for his strength again. But you know what he wanted? He wanted a, he wanted, he said to the Lord that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines of my two eyes. He wanted more than, you would think he would say, Lord, avenge me of my strength, the strength that I've lost, or the wonderful locks of her that I had. But know what he said? He said, Lord, remember me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee. Verse 28, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Sight. Lord, avenge me of my eyes. Spiritual vision. Sight is absolutely essential in the last days. Sight to see. And it's related to the heart. It's related to the heart. What do we read? Blessed are the pure in heart. For what will happen? They're going to see God. Anybody want to see God? I want to see him. But how does our spiritual sight begin to fade? We don't just wake up one morning and our sight's gone. It's a gradual process. It happens slowly. And it's a direct result of the condition of the heart. The old heart begins to grow cold. Remember when we were warmed 
with the wonderful love of Christ. Our hearts were on fire. And you know what happens at that? We see. There's no complication. We simply see. There's a fire within us. There's a fire in our bones. Our hearts are burning. And you know what it gives us? It gives us sight. We see everything clearly. There's no complication. There's no... We just see. But when the condition of the heart begins to grow cold or lukewarm, and that's what everything of this world is trying to do. Do you know what it's trying to do? And so much with even in the church is trying to get you to cool down. Don't get too on fire for God. Don't be too radical. Fit the narrative of the day. What God's looking for? People that don't fit the narrative. The old heart begins to grow a little bit cooler. Then we don't see like we used to see. Has this ever happened to anybody? We don't see like we used to see. The clarity of vision is just not the same. I struggle reading these wee screens. I know they were small, but I can't get the words. She'd wear my glasses, but I just use them for driving. I can't preach and wear the glasses because they slide down my nose. That's that's just a wee thing on the way by. There's <laughs> too much sweat up here, so they'll be all over the place. They'll be sliding everywhere. So it just so if you see me going like that, it's just I'm smiling at you. So. <laughs> it's a horrible thing when you can't see clearly you can see but you can't see clearly the vision is impaired and our eyes begin to grow dim and in the biblical context of that we know that is because of compromise. There's a book years ago, used to be on our shelves, called The Great Compromise. The Great Compromise. It was a book, I believe, largely directed towards young people about when compromise comes and then you lose the, the fervency, the fire, the purpose, the desire. The desire begins to go and then the eyes begin to wax dim. There's a perfect example of this, of course. Again, you'll know these verses very well. 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says there of Eli, as he was laid down in his place, as he was laid down in his place, it says that his eyes began to wax dim and he couldn't see. And I just looked at that verse again. came to pass at that time that Eli was laid down. Listen, take your ease. That's what the world said. That's what many even in the churches, just take your ease. Just, just, just calm. Just be, just be, just settle. All this, don't worry, it's all it's all going to work out. There's nothing to be concerned about. A law blow over. Peace, peace. Everything's, this is people in the church are saying this. I want you to be laid down in your place. 
you know what happens when you begin to compromise? Your eyes begin to wax dim. And then eventually what happens is you can't see. You know one of the greatest tragedies of our day, the amount of people that you meet that were once sitting in houses of God all across this land were far for God. Preachers stood behind pulpits, testifying, singers out in the streets giving out tracts, standing in Shastri Square, preaching the gospel, going after the lost, firing their bones. And today, friends, they've been laid down. Their eyes wax dim. And see, when you meet them, they can't see. Oh God, if God was to move amongst the prodigal church in itself and bring all the prodigals back, friends, there wouldn't be enough room for them. Just bring the prodigals home and the house is going to be absolutely bound. It says in verse 3, and this is the 1 Samuel 3 and 3, the next verse, this is the parallel of Eli, the high priest, and then the condition of the heart, and that was the temple, because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. It says there, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, there was a neglect. That's what it speaks of. There was a neglect. There was a neglect. We neglected. Neglect. If you turn over in the Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, this is how blindness comes. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says there, Hebrews 2 and 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So great a salvation. Not just a salvation, but so great a salvation. It's a great salvation. It's a great gift. It's great to be saved. It's great to be washed in the blood. It's great to, to have your name written in heaven, isn't it? Isn't it great to be saved? I mean, is there anything greater? Can you tell me something greater tonight? Is there anything greater in this world? Isn't it great to be saved? Praise the Lord, it's great to be saved. This great salvation. This great salvation. I believe it's Paul writing, of course. He says, how shall we escape? How are we going to escape all of this that's coming? How will we escape all this rise of the Antichrist and all this system and all this stuff and all the agendas of men and all the agendas of the LGBTQL, whatever, plus, and everything else? They're going to add all to that. How will we escape? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I want to tell you, friends, no greater place to be in this day than just to walk with God. Just walk with Him. If we lose or if we have lost the joy of our salvation, a thankfulness in our hearts for this great gift, a love for God and a love for His Word, a love for the people of God, the brethren, and a desire to see souls saved, if we have lost some of those things, then, sadly, friends, neglect has come. Neglect has come. 
somewhere neglect has crept in. It wasn't that you woke up and said, I'm going to neglect this. Do you know what happens? Don't, don't we know what happens? And all the busyness of life and all the things of life. And then those things which are most important, we begin to let them slip. Well, the devil's crafty, you know. Neglect is simply to mean to feel, to care for properly. In the Greek, it simply means to make light of or neglect or have no regard. Do you know what the most grieving thing has been in this season? To hear people, men of God, stand on platforms and make light of what's happening. Make light of it. Make light of the things of God. Make light of the fellowship of God's people. Make light of what's essential. Anyone heard the word essential? Make light of this. Can you imagine what it is in the sight of God when he sees his people neglect his great salvation? Can you imagine what it's like for the heart of the Father when he sees this great salvation that he's given, this great gift that he's given to us freely at the great cost of his own dear son and he has given it and we've received it and then he sees that we neglect so great a salvation. We neglect it. Jesus informed the Laodicean church, and I'll come with a close in a minute, and this is the great news. Jesus says, I've got a cure for blindness. Isn't it great to know there's a cure? Isn't it great to know that there's a way back? Isn't it great to know that the, the heart of God is opened? And the father stands awaiting the prodigal to come home. Isn't it great to know that he's going to welcome us in and not say, go out there with the servants, but he's going to say, come on in. There's a place for you. Jesus informed them that there was a place, that there was a cure for spiritual eye salve. He said, I'll anoint your eyes with a very unique ointment that goes upon the eyes that helps you see helps you see. How does this all happen? How does the anointing be applied to the eyes? How are the eyes opened? Well, he called the church, he called the individual to repent. Turn back. Don't keep running away. Turn to me. I'll give you that gold that's been tried in the fire. I'll, I'll close you again and I'll anoint your eyes with eye salve and you're going to be able to see. What must have been for those blind men when their eyes were opened and all they could see was Jesus? Do you know when our faith gives way to sight, the first thing that we're going to see is this man, Jesus. It's awesome. There's a man in Scripture and it says of him in Deuteronomy 34 and 7, it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Heard David mention this many times. Powerful scripture. And you know what it says of him? He's 120. You know what it says of him? His eyes were not dim. Do you know, I believe you can have vision right to the day that Christ comes and raptures the church. I mean clear vision. 
How did the man, Moses, at the age of 120, I just asked myself a question, says his natural force, nor his natural force abated. His eyes were not dim. Do you know what it was? I just believe that he just abided in that glory. He abided in the glory. Remember what he said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Brothers and sisters, if we abide in the glory, we're going to see. And our eyes will never wax dim, but we'll just keep our eyes on him. And then he'll come or he'll call, but we do want to see him. We do want to see him. We can see him tonight afresh. We can see him if he anoints all our eyes afresh with that eye self and opens our eyes. Do what we want to see. We want to see Jesus. Warm our hearts again with this great love. Open our eyes to see you. But may we abide in the glory. Abide in the glory. We want to abide in the glory. Lord, let your glory fall in this room. We'll have a wee time of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord.